Welcome to ArcNext Sessions, episode 80. I'm Paul, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Amelia, Donna, and Ken. Joining us here in the ArcNext studio this week is Devine Garakanian, a young LA-based architectural creative who wears many hats. Devine, it's great to have you join us today. Thank you. Nice to be here. So you are involved in a lot of projects. Just uh, to name a few of the projects that, that I'm familiar with, you've got your design practice, Quark, an experimental film project, uh, Garnazi, the Super Architects Media Network, which I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with through your massively popular Instagram feed. And you've recently started up a new co-working slash incubator space in downtown LA. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's a lot of stuff for someone that hasn't even been out of school for that long. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition from school into uh, what you're up to these days? Yeah. So I graduated in 2013 and I quickly found out that I wasn't built for the, I would say, quote unquote, architecture firm. I wasn't really interested in practicing. Um, I'm fully interested and concentrate on projects. So QR, the design studio is strictly for projects. And I was fortunate enough to have people believe in me, friends, uh, family who gave me my first projects. And I was quickly uh, relieved from my duties from the architectural firm. And I kind of just went for it and started doing my own projects. When I mean my projects, they really gave me a chance to rethink and do something special and something different. It wasn't really controlled. Like a usual client want, knows what they want. You know, these guys really gave me a chance to, to do something a little different. So uh, the transmission's been extremely un unorthodox and different and strange, and I'm still trying to figure it out. And it's just one thing has led to another, and I'm in this sort of situation that I'm still figuring it out. What was that core frustration or like not exactly jiving yeah, with architecture? Maybe what? we could just talk about the last project that in school was my thesis project. And you know, I spent a, a rigorous year in, in doing a, what I thought was a pretty special project and spent so much time and so much research and, you know, blood, sweat and tears. But in the end, there was a, you know, I could count the number of people that it influenced and people who saw it. So it was kind of strange that we spent so much time, effort, and built so much knowledge in this project, but then, you know, no one really gets to see it. And then no one gets to see it. What's really, what's the point of it? So that's sort of what Super Architects was, is we were focusing on, we wanted to create a platform for, for us, you know, students and kind of young emerging architects or architectural creatives that wanted a platform and needed to be seen and needed a voice. So whether that's, you know, a student in Korea or a student in LA, we wanted them to be heard. We wanted the underdogs to be heard and to be seen um, and to have a chance to get their work and their ideas out there. Maybe there's a potential client out there, a potential collaboration. So it was a, it was a way to empower them and um, give them a voice to keep this kind of independent idea thinking uh, moving. Because usually after your thesis, they're all like amped up. They're like, we got to go. I, I got to go work at OMA. I have to go to Morphosis or I have to go to you know, these fancy firms, but you don't really need to do that. And um, so we wanted to kind of empower them and go like, hey, you, you could maybe, you know, continue this path of, you know, independent ideas and, you know, keep practicing what you're doing and, you know, do your own projects. And you don't have to just kind of corner yourself into a particular firm. That's not the end goal. It's just the beginning. Did you start Super Architects while you were still a student? Yeah, so Super Architects was originally ideated by my partner, Julia Muyal, who's sort of on the Euro Europe side. She's overseas and handling over there. Yeah, so she, 
you know, I think it was just kind of like we were in the computer lab together and she was like, I wish there was a platform for, you know, she was an MRX student and she came into this world of architecture and she had, you know, she's like, I don't know what's going on here. Well, you, you go on like, you know, an Arc Daily or an Arconnect. You know, these are built projects, but in, you know, in studios, architecture studios, they're designing, you know, all sorts of strange things. They aren't necessarily buildings. So there, for these kind of new students, there was no sort of platform to kind of learn and understand what's happening to kind of riff off of. So she, she was really interested in my project. She's like, Hey, I wish your project was out there and maybe I can actually read through it and see, you know, what this architecture school thing's about. I'm like, yeah, why don't you, you know, kind of start a platform? And I was interested. I'm like, yeah, publish my work. You know? Mm -hmm. So I, at that time I went to Berlin and Barcelona to study abroad and she started the blog and, you know, that's when we started publishing what we thought was the best thesis work coming out of architecture schools. So we started kind of, at, you know, I had a few friends and hey, your project's really good. We should, we should publish it. So it started off like that, word of mouth. And now we're at a place where we're getting like 40, you know, submissions a week and we have to like run through them and see. And we, we also, we're very democratic. We want, we don't want to just kind of give a certain school or a certain you know, a city entity on the, on the website. We wanted like, what's, what's happening in, uh, in Australia, what's happening in Hong Kong, what's happening in Iran. So we wanted to kind of connect and link these characters and these ideas and kind of like, you know, for example, let's say I'm at a particular school in LA, but what's happening in a school in India? And, you know, maybe I could learn from, uh, kind of like a teaching each other and forming each other. And I think we're really hoping to kind of start these collaborations. You know, if there's a, you know, a student abroad, and a local student, maybe they could connect and maybe work on a project together or something. So, so it's interesting. You go, you go back to your own thesis project and how much work went into it and how few people actually had the chance to see it and experience it to super architects where mm -hmm. it's kind of like the, in, not, not the inverse. There's still a lot of work going into it, but mm -hmm. then it's, it's uh, disseminated to such a huge community. What becomes of the life of that project after it's uploaded? Like, what is that next stage? Because yeah. most most architecture students are not familiar with that with that next stage because yeah. that, that didn't used to exist. I mean, I know because when I started Arconnect back in, in uh, the 90s when I was at, at SciArc, mm -hmm. um, I started with a very similar approach mm -hmm. by publishing mm -hmm. the best projects that I was seeing around me at the school. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was really frustrating was that the best work was often the hardest to get people to publish because it was it was being created by extremely perfectionist, uh, talented individuals that, that knew that whatever they publish now is going to be garbage in a few years when they look back at it. But so, so maybe you can talk about what happens after that project is uploaded and people start looking at it. To, to sort of challenge that, the most sought out architectural work in a museum is Rem Coolhouse's thesis project at the AA. So there is, I would, I would critique that and say thesis projects to me are the most valuable projects versus a build project he's done. Mm -hmm. So I think thesis projects have, you know, real serious ideas embedded in them, which can't really be performed in the built world because we're so restricted by code city and clients and et cetera. So you're talking about the, uh, if this thing gets published, you know, what's, you know, is there, yeah. is there a, is there an effect? Well, I mean, it? potentially the way I see it is that, you know, a, a studio project is really a project that is, is undertaken at a very personal level. It's usually just yeah. personal to the, to the student or the, or mm -hmm. the group of students. And then maybe the studio instructor works closely, but it's really the student's passion that, that's right. being explored. And then it usually goes, it gets, goes in the trash or gets archived in a, right. in a 2d portfolio. But right. the possibilities of what that project can turn into later when it's shared exactly. with the rest of the 
world can lead to, you know. So we're, we're one of the projects, we're working on a few software and platform projects under Super Architects. One is which we could actually embed this sort of information, whether it's research or representation, renders to um, literally data collection, we could infill it into this kind of software platform where let's say a student four years from now is working on the same site and they could go and see in the same sort of region, there is all these sort of projects that were done. So they could sort of infiltrate and collect all the data that's already, someone's already produced. So they could kind of evolve the project. So how do we use, you know, someone's doing a thesis project for one year that's a lot of information collected. Why waste that? How could we like kind of upload that and use that? And then I think the professional architects or creatives could also use that information. Um, sure. I mean, so, it seems like a, it becomes a massive collective intelligence resource that doesn't have to stop at, you know, at graduation. Exactly. So that's something we're trying to figure out. But I think it's like we're at the stage where we just want to embrace the importance of thesis projects and student work and just kind of empower these students and say, hey, you're doing some really cool stuff and maybe you should continue this way of thinking and this way of doing rather than just produce a project that could get you into this firm or this is, you know, rather like, oh, this is a portfolio piece. This is a project that you could sort of keep pushing and keep developing. What then are the core criteria that you see as valuable for showcasing the kind of work that you yeah, choose we, to on SuperArchitects? We, we um, focus on who has the best comprehensive work from representation to writing to site. So we're like, okay, this, no one's really worked on this sort of area before. We haven't published someone in this area or this school before. So there's we want to keep that democratic value, but also the words to the representational skills. Like, did this person really have a good idea? And is their, their work really, you know, we're looking for students who really push the boundaries, really challenge the idea. And I think after doing this for like so many years, we kind of could filter through this stuff really easy. Okay, we've seen that before. That's a knockoff from that. Uh, we, it's, it's, it's easier to see fresh ideas. But then again, you never know. You quickly start it's, to see kind of like academic consensus starting yeah. to build where certain schools or certain topics are coming up very consistently. And you start to wonder like, okay, is this person doing what they know they're supposed to do in this particular academic culture? Or are they a vanguard? And then like architecture schools are so ancestral, right? Like, for example, you know, I don't want to name names, but um, they're already like, they're, you know, you go to a certain school, you're practicing a certain thing that you know, those, the leads or the heads in that school are trying to push. But, you know, as a student who's paying over $100,000 to be in the school, why do I have to be cornered to be learning what, you know, this kind of specific topic or theme, you know, but I could maybe go to Super Architects and go, oh, look what they're doing there. Or look what they're doing. So you could kind of self-educate and maybe contact each other and, you know, get a stronger or a more unified platform for architectural education. I don't think we're doing a good job at that, but I'm just saying there's, it's just another extension, another way to kind of educate yourself because that, that cor you know, they just corner you to a specific kind of theme or, you know. Or it's like education is a commodity. It's like you're being offered the att to attend the school for this amount of money. So if you want to come here, you've got to drink but, our Kool-Aid. Yeah, exactly. And it's five years, right? Or if I like an undergrad and like three years, like they don't really have a choice, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? So we want to give people a choice and um, sort of some freedom to, even though you're doing this specific theme, hey, look what's happening here. You don't have to go to the school. You don't have to pay $100,000 to go to the school and learn what they're doing. Just look at these projects. You see what they're producing, see what they're writing, see how they're thinking. You know, it's not a mystery anymore. So we're trying to kind of expose all that. 
Well, I know when I was in architecture school, there was probably more influence that students took from other students than, yeah, than they did from their, their teachers. So to open up that sphere of influence to the whole world just makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, there are those that copy each other, then there, yeah. there are others who intelligently uh, become inspired. And uh, each one can do their own thing, but the more opportunities they have to learn, the better, I think. I, I was just going to go back to what you said about, you know, the best work and the, you know, the best students or whatever they're called. They don't want to submit because they're sort of maybe a bit critical, too critical or a bit insecure, like they're perfectionists, right? And we usually get submitted by the people who, you know, who want to be on Super Architects mm -hmm. or like they want kind of promotion. And so it's hard to kind of see who, you know what I mean? Because we, we want to push the quiet ones who mm -hmm. have really good ideas, but they, they can't really push themselves or get themselves out there. And we need those people out there because that's the only way architecture is going to keep surviving and mm -hmm. sort of evolve because yeah. we're losing right now. It's, it's tricky. Yeah. It's tricky to get the, uh, the really great ideas out there yeah. into the world. Yeah. I've really been questioning this in the last few years about uh, specifically around the topic of how we educate architects. So during the recession in 2008, I was teaching pro practice and there were no jobs for students to get anyway. So I was sort of talking to them, Devine, as you had said earlier about what skills they do have and how they can use those skills in creative different ways to not just get a job yep. at a firm, yep. Yep. but to do other things with them. Absolutely. And there, I read something from your, from I think from your LinkedIn site, you say something about, particularly to architecture students, the limiting enclosure education and experience of schools and the lack of proper exposure and relevancy for students in their work, which I am taking to mean they're not learning any kind of value to their skills. They're learning a certain set of skills, but they're not seeing that those skills have applicability in other realms Absolutely. out in the world. And I'm curious if you feel like school in general, would architecture students be better served if we had more of a connection to the construction industry, more of a connection to the business world, more of a connection to the art world? Or do you see some other discipline doing this kind of integration in a way that we just don't, don't seem to be getting. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the thing is, architecture school or architects or architectural training, I think architects personally are sort of well-rounded generalists that could really do anything, but they're kind of doing nothing right now and sort of cornered into this <laughs> construction or they're, they're cornered or, or slave to the building. And guess what? Only point, what, 3% get to actually build stuff and maybe 0.001% get to actually produce what they will actually want to produce. So I think going outside of the building, we could easily adapt to anything. The way we've been, we need to use our training and our, our way of thinking and doing in film, fashion, animation. So I think architects are naturally interdisciplinary. And um, I think we need to take advantage of that. And uh, that's what we learn in school. Every studio project we've done, every class is just different. And the last thing we did was actually, you know, think of construction or buildings. So that's why there's a disconnect between academic world and the professional world. But I, I, I you know, one thing Super Architects wanted to do, or we, the collective, or friends and I, we want to, we've been thinking like, are, are we trying to connect the, the gap, right? Everyone's talking about connecting the academic world. But, but I think actually the gap is an opportunity and for us to sort of evolve and get outside of buildings. So software design, UI, UX, there's so many opportunities out there. And then also just when we're talking about what bugged me about, you know, architecture school is, you know, I talked to my mom or I talked to my friend, no one really understood, you know, they, they think you're, you know, a blueprint, you know, a CAD 
CAD, <laughs> right. CAD guy and you design buildings, but we're like, no, you know, we're, we have all these ideas and we're connecting the dots and, you know, we're thinking about cities and, you know, how people move and all, you know, there's so much to it. And so I think there is a lack of architecture lacks to engage people, the public. So I think that's what really bugs me is why is like someone's thesis project that's so potent and so informative losing to Justin Bieber's selfie. So that, <laughs> that just bugs me. So I'm, I, want, I want like one of the things about Super Artex, why we, we started so loud and we kind of attached to this kind of social media world. That's where everyone was. So that's why we started this kind of social media thing is, okay, we need to start engaging. We need to start dumbing down architecture, simplifying it and making it more entertaining, making it more social, again, engaging. So we think architecture needs to rebrand itself in general, not like, so there's a bigger, I think there's a huge, huge problem all the way at the top rather than connecting the small dots. So how do we make architecture popular again? You know, we're, we're, that's what we're trying to figure out. So that's a, yeah, that's a really, really great point that you brought up that, you know, I mean, it's something that we talk about a lot that we need to enlighten the public about what architects are rather than just, exactly. you know, CAD monkeys. I can't remember how many times I was asked to help somebody design their porch while I was an architecture student. <laughs> it's like, it's the last thing I was capable of doing at yeah, the time and the last thing think. I would want to. <laughs> so there's a lack of communication. Yeah. So going back to your Instagram feed, you've got, you know, over a half a million followers on that, which means that obviously a big chunk of those people are not architects, which Absolutely. is great, which is, which is what you're, you're fulfilling yeah. your, your mission of getting this work in front of the public. How were you able to develop a following at that scale? And, and what is it that you see non-architects being attracted to? Yeah. One thing I would mention is I taught a, a workshop recently and we blasted it on Super Architects. And, you know, most of the people enrolled because we put on Super Architects and they came from every part of the world. And that, that was interesting. That was very amazing. But what was also really interesting, one of the characters was a business major who's just sort of fascinated by architecture through the through our Instagram feed and who's now sort of coming into architecture. So it's just nice that outsiders are being interested in architecture now. So how do we develop a following? It was super easy. Architecture it was and is not cool. And again, it lacked a social, it, it, what was out there was, you know, maybe just use Arc Daily as, as, as an example. It was buildings and that's it. You know what I mean? It was, it was for architects. So we wanted to make an architecture platform for architects and beyond. So it was easy because no one at that time, let's say, I guess we're using the Instagram thing for right now. There was no real architectural platform on Instagram and there was no student platform. So we kind of those two negatives created a positive. And I think it was, it was a moment, it, you know, just like kind of like when you started Arconnect, if you started Arconnect today, it wouldn't be as potent, but you started at the right time where it, where we, it needed it, the world, you know, the world needed that at that time. So I think it was just kind of a timing thing. And just also architecture could be a force in the social media world. Yeah. I mean, well, everybody deals with architecture every day. Uh, but I mean, part of the reason I started Arconnect back in, in the 90s was because there was no resources, no ways to get inspired and learn more about what was happening with architecture. That exists now. But as you were saying, it kind of more in the form of like the Arc Daily style, like built project, never ending scrolling field. Which is great. Which is great. Yeah, and it, we which need is it. great. Yeah. But to to get the younger next generation interested in what architecture can be. Yeah showing off these kind of theoretical projects and the student work, I think not only gets people interested in the visual aspect of, of architectural design, but it also kind of opens their mind 
as to what an architect's role is. Right. Because it isn't just the kind of the the com- kind of build projects that they're used to living in. And then companies should also be interested in architects too. Tesla should be reaching out to architects for environmental design, help us, you know, design the next, I don't know, SpaceX, whatever. I'm just saying, uh, you know, other companies should be reaching out to architects too. So we need to re-educate them and let them know what we're doing, how we think, and how we could be a huge value to them. Again, you know, everyone's it's a rat race to these very small boutique firms and um, we're losing value. So, okay. I have sort of a counterintuitive take on that though, because uh, looking at your Instagram and I follow a few graffiti artists on Instagram and then I follow architects on Instagram. I think, I feel like the general, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, the general level of commentary on super architects and on the graffiti feeds I follow, it's a lot of comments that are just like, killer. This is a cool shot. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, mm-hmm. great. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Do architects tend to take ourselves too seriously? Is is that part of it that the architects' more traditional feeds and the more traditional architects are not getting the sort of interesting following and excitement on something like Instagram because we think everything has to be very serious and measured? And if that's true, how do we sell ourselves to other disciplines as being both very serious and business savvy in the way that they would need us to be, but also have this ability to do killer shots. No, absolutely. <laughs> you know? We, we uh, take ourselves too seriously. And for like, that's why we, we did the Instagram thing and we, we thought it wasn't serious. We thought it, it, you know, it might be a joke, but it worked. And, um, that's what we need to, um, play the game a little bit, like take, take a yeah. counter pop culture. And, um, we don't need to be posting, you know, really long, boring texts about our ideas, but maybe, um, a selfie of in your studio and some, some goofy sketch, you know, start <laughs> engaging with normal people. And that way they could connect to us. It's a hard for them to connect to us. How many times have you heard someone like, oh, I don't want to talk to an architect or like architects <laughs> freak me out. You know, they, they use all these big, you know, they're, they're sort of in their own world talking in their own terms. So, you know, so I, I had, and I was the same way and I had to like get out of that bubble, even though I love that bubble. And, you know, but again, if we stake in that bubble, we're going to sort of become extinct. So I, again, we need to like open stars up and, you know, get normal again. The way I see this is, I mean, architecture is an extremely complex field. And as an architect that is practicing architecture, you become very particular about what you do and what you believe is right and what you believe is wrong. So I think architects and also architects, I I, I think there is a lot of jealousy in the architecture profession and a lot of a lot of strong opinions. So I think architects can be a really tough critic when it comes to other architects work. Mm -hmm. It's really hard to kind of break out of your own state of mind and and look at another person's work and see value in it when it's so different from what you practice yourself. So, I mean, that's what I found. It's a lot easier. I mean, Take the uh, the Peterson uh, Automotive Museum, for example. I mean, architects mm-hmm. architects yeah. can't stand it. But ask the average person and the typical response is like, that building is so fucking cool. <laughs> um, you know, that doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It just means that it's like, you know, we're a little, we're a li- we've become a little jaded. You know, we, we look at this, we look at this stuff a lot and we're always comparing it to what we, to it, to a standard that is kind of unique to ourselves. Absolutely. Top down in their own world, one guy, one idea, not collaborative, you know, so very independent. And so, but the young generation, you know, we come from a very social, collaborative sort of culture. So it's this kind of new, let's work together, let's collaborate. It's a little bit more common. I don't know if that's kind of a generational thing, but I think there's the, the sort of the collective we have, they're 
extremely um, collaborative and want to help each other. So there's a lot of collaboration happening right now. I think that's changing. I think it is a generational thing. I think that there's a lot of truth to the kind of stereotype that millennials are kind of adopting a more kind of shared cohabitated world, which actually brings me to the next uh, project that the co-working space recently started. Anti-co-working. And yeah, so I, um, so through through Super Architects, we've we've really built a strong collective, and it was time to have to sponsor some sort of physical presence, and teamed up with a few people to create a space where these sort of independents, young emerging architects, uh, could come to and sort of work and develop uh, these ideas. So the RU, uh, the RU dot space, it stands for Represent, Unify, and Engage. Um, here we so R U E R U E, which also means street in French. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, I guess, uh, I was mainly inspired by the Beat Hotel in the 1950s, uh, where, you know, William Burroughs, Kissinger, and all these kind of creatives congregated in this tight work-lift space. And they just naturally shared ideas. And um, a lot of amazing things happened. A lot of magic happened in that space, like minds, right? So we think that there's an opportunity for that to happen in architecture here in LA. And so we're hosting a space for seven particular independents that are kind of working on their own thing, but somewhat in line together. Our focus is a little bit digital media related where we're producing content. So we have, you know, a station for a hacker, a station for a 3D artist, a station for a filmmaker, storyteller. So we want them to sort of, they already have their own thing happening, but we're hoping this kind of, uh, indirectly there's some incubation happening. So, you know, maybe Nike might come to the Rue, hey, can you can the Rue produce a piece, uh, you know, as a collective? But then also there's a third tier where we're going to be hosting meetups. We'll be doing podcasts. We'll be doing lectures. We're renting out our space to right now USC to do GIS workshops and, you know, VRLA is going to come in there and start doing VR workshops. So we want this to be a hyperactive space that's constantly alive and constantly. So it's a big open space in uh, downtown LA in the fashion district, we think. And it's it's at a very particular, we chose a very particular area where it's still a bit edgy. It's on the cusp of gentrification. We, we're still has that raw downtown LA vibe. And so, yeah, we're, I'm, I'm really excited. And it's kind of a critique with the firm. You know, we're not really interested in practice. We're not interested in the firm. So it's a space for independents to come to work on their own things and also unify and potentially incubate collective ideas. So, you know, we're really excited about this project. Can I ask, why are you calling it an anti-co-working space? Because like, uh, let's say like a WeWork, you know, it's, it's open to everyone. Um, who can pay the... Who could pay? Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of like a trend. Mm. It's a business plan. This isn't a business. We're not. We're not making money out of this. So I'm. I'm sort of. I'm. I feel strange about you know all the co-working spaces happening, the Noi houses, the WeWorks, the park, and all these kind of strange business plans. So, but then again, in a weird way, it's a co-working space. But we don't want to call it a co-working space Mm. because it's invite. (laughs) You know, right now there's 20 people's interviewing for it. It's it's kind of more boutique, invite only because we need It's the great group effect. We Mm. want a really strong, particular team working together so it can't just be anyone you know we're really trying like i really believe in teams and you know i'm an enabler i'm a curator sort of naturally so i I, i'm really interested in putting together this like great group and see what happens so it's an experiment and interest what when you said anti-co-working space what came to mind was actually I, i was having dinner with somebody last week who has a business in one of the new we work spaces in la and I was asking him if there are many architects there. And he said, no, because every time an architect comes to check out the space, they're like totally turned off by the over-stylized interior and kind of 
brand development of the space. And they can't see themselves being and offering their own kind of unique creative solutions to clients mm. when they're in a space that is so heavily designed. Sounds like, I don't know what the inside of your space is like, but it sounds like it's much more free form kind of. Um, yeah, I would, you guys need to come check it out. So this has been my favorite loft for the last two years. And I've been imagining this thing happening here. Finally, we got a chance to, to take it over. So I think this is also an architectural problem. This is a, it's a 1500 square foot penthouse loft in, uh, in fashion district. And so we want to, re we're going to retrofit seven programs in there. So we're design building everything. So everything from the tables to the desks, to the social hangout areas, everything deconstructs and reconstructs to retrofit a particular program, whether there's an experimental dinner happening there, a networking event, or it's just a, it's a working space or a conference room, or we're doing, I'm doing my uh, VR troubleshooting there, everything sort of, so it was, a, it was a really interesting sort of architectural problem to solve. How do we maximize this space? I mean, you know, they're doing in Tokyo and all that stuff. So, and the cool thing is we're collaborating and being sponsored by all these great companies. We're getting all the material donated to us. Our tables are being constructed out of doors, donated by RS Recycling. So everything we're like, what, how can we do this all for free? Because we don't have money. So we don't, we don't want to spend 20, 20, $50,000 to make this space happen. So we got really creative and, and so many companies out there from the Coca-Colas to, you know, small Kickstarters are so interested in architecture. And so it's so easy to kind of work with these companies. So we were fortunate enough to, you know, to get creative because we don't have the funds and it's actually making for a better story. So yeah, the website will be up next week. You know, if this goes up, you're probably not going to find it online, but next week it should be up so you can kind of see the package cool. and uh, what we're going to do there. Well, stay tuned. Uh, we'll we'll uh, post a link to the website when it's up. Yeah. When is the space going to be open for? October 1st will be fully functioning. Mid-September is when we're hoping to have everything built out. We'll be moving things in, confirming with all the, uh, the participants, and hopefully by October 1st, will be running. But it's running right now. As we speak, there's a workshop happening there. There's a VR project being developed there. There's two films being developed there. So the beauty is kind of seeing this thing, you know, if you had the funds, you'd go and you just built everything out and, you know, start going. But it's been, you know, even when it was a big open space, we're on the floors working, figuring things out. So it's been nice to see this thing sort of evolve. But then again, you know, downtown is really expensive and we need to we need to hurry up before we, we lose all our money and, and you know, and it's getting uh, more expensive by the day, by the yeah. hour, maybe. So <laughs> I think like, yeah, I think the beat hotel, Warhol's factory, Eisenman's IAU, you know, in, in, in Manhattan, when you, so I th there's all these kind of, you know, we want some sort of natural energy, a space where people to come and do whatever the heck they want, because I've always wanted that space. I've been crashing on couches and turning my friend's little living room into a workspace and my parents' garage. And like, you know, I'm like, I wish someone could just give me a space like this where I could be and my friends could come and, you know, start producing ideas where we're inspired and, you know, we're giving it. So my goal, again, same thing with Super I, I wanted that, that we didn't have it. So I had to create it. Same, same situation here. So, well, it seems like an, uh, like a sensible evolution when you were talking about the gap space between school and work and the importance of that gap time. This seems like the space that's designed for that gap. Sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's a place to explore your individual Absolutely. pursuits and yeah. I'm I'm excited to see it. I have one yeah. more question specifically about you, you mentioned kind of offhand that the the Coca Colas and the Underdog yeah. Kickstarters they're all yeah. interested in this whatever yeah. it is the that 
architects are selling, what do you think that they think architects are? Because you just described so many different access points and different mm-hmm. disciplines that are going to be coming into this space. What would tell- a company like Coca-Cola find interesting about it? The first thing we tell them, architects, architectures and buildings. And so then they start, they get curious about it. And we kind of explain to them what the values of the new generation of architects are, what we're doing. Here are a few examples. Here are some projects. You know, for example, we, I did a you know, a public art installation, or I'm, I'm working on a, a VR exhibition, which is questioning what architecture might mean. I mean, what a VR might mean for architecture, installations, experiences. And so, which is all still architecture to me. So we just kind of, and then sort of they get excited. So it's kind of like talking about architecture in a more creative, open-ended manner where I guess they, they think architects are smart artists. And mm-hmm. that's kind of what we're kind of pushing. <laughs> Do you know what? Yeah. But like, just yeah. yeah. So, but and the thing is, like, they don't know all these companies. They don't work with architects, but there's just so much potential. And like, all these companies, you know, they work with you know the Kanye Wests and the musicians mm-hmm. and all, but they don't have an architect on board. There is no you know interesting, um, I don't know, um, architectural character out there. So to them, it's value. It's like, oh, you know, that's something we don't have, and maybe yeah. that's something we should be involved in, and there's something new and fresh. What I'm seeing, you know, from from the kind of uh, communications that we have with like advertising agencies and stuff yep. uh, with with Arconnect is that there are big companies out there that understand the value of working with architects and they're mm-hmm. doing it and that's getting attention. And what what I'm noticing is that it's getting the attention of a lot of other companies that see that value but don't get it yet. But they do see that value mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. they they reach out to us and they're like you know how can we get involved? We can tell from the from the conversations we have with them they don't know why but it's but it's important mm-hmm. that they connect with the architecture industry and i think it's an exciting uh beginning to kind of a new you know a new chapter in in architectural engagement outside of traditional practice who do you think is most valuable who's the most valuable character to you guys in architecture Actual in, in terms of in terms or? yeah or like an entity or an individual who do you think is bringing more value or engagement towards architecture Hmm, who's like the and biggest I, I know, raw she's raw. Dead. I know who you she's guys dead. are. Exactly. She's dead. Exactly. And who's, uh-huh. the, who's the second one? I think, I mean, the, the immediate person that comes to mind is Rem. I mean, he, he integrates so many kind of ideas and, and principles outside of the traditional practice of architecture in a way that is legible to the public. I think he has really uh, revolutionized the way that the public sees architects and their role in, in the world. I, I need to go back to undergrads so that I can take a end of 20th century architectural history course and see how they talk about Gary. My stepmom, she knows a lot about architecture and a lot about mid-century design, just ethos in general. And she talks about Gary like he's just like in the patron saint, like he is can do no harm, like is the best. She has spiritual experiences when she goes to the Disney concert hall, something like mm-hmm. that. And she has no formal architectural training. She's not particularly, as far as I know, hanging out with that architect crowd. But I think that the fact that Gary's longevity um, is still a sticking point with him is that we can see so much over his career, which we never got to, for unfortunately, with Saha, and that he has works that people who are not architects or who have no expressed interest with architecture are nonetheless going to say like, oh, I know Bill Bao or I know like the Disney concert hall or things like that, whether that's for good or for ill, whether he's a great designer or or not or whatever. It's not that's not about the qualitative judgment, just about like this is the stuff, the images that have managed to implant themselves in people's minds, mm-hmm. just like Super Architects is trying to mm-hmm. kind of create that running image inventory of what 
architecture could be um, for a general public. I think Gary's like, I don't know why there isn't a like Bilbao emoji yet. Something like that. But you know, Gary, Gary, I think <laughs> he is, was also in the Simpsons. And he's in the yeah, Simpsons. Yeah, exactly. The Simpsons. Simpsons effect. Although <laughs> the, I'm the sure. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. But I, <laughs> I think a lot of people see Gary as a formalist uh, sculpturist, but I think the work that he's doing with the LA river right now is going to give him an opportunity to kind of get beyond that, that right. formal perspective that, that people have with him and understand what he can contribute to this project mm. in a non-formal way. And he's also running a firm that is so active in realms that are incredibly influential to architecture, but are really wonky even to architects. Gary Technologies and such is not going, the person who goes to architecture school um, most likely wants to work with Gary the architect, not Gary the Gary technologist, I'm assuming. Well, there's actually a clause in the in the Frank Gary contract that it's like the, the Gary bonus clause that you have to pay a lot more money if you want to be directly involved in working with Frank. Yeah. As Other, a client, otherwise, exactly. otherwise you get the uh, the rest of the office. Yeah. The house coffee instead of the special. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, because we're talking about something that is a transitional period that is happening right now with architecture education being redefined and the profession of architecture being redefined and also just the, what it means to get licensed. That yeah. very basic path is being re- rewritten. But if we follow this through to kind of the progression after that, after the transition period, and we kind of tease out the narrative, then it's kind of, it seems a little bit strange to me because we have this architecture education that to all the graduating architects is failing them. And yet we have this public idea of what architecture is based on what we see architects coming out of school being as having all these different possibilities, all these different practices. And we say architecture is that it is all these different things. But we're also saying that the architecture education that is allowing all those different interpretations to come to pass isn't architecture. It's the failing the architects in its education. So like, then what is architecture? If it is all of these things, why are we still calling it that? If the architect can be the UI designer, the hydrologist, the engineer, like the simply called space designer, the graphic designer, why then are we still sticking with this term architect? And what special sauce does that give them? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Total question no, I know, but, that but I have no... Yeah. Like you see, like... Yeah, sound, it's this, a good question. Yeah, but you'll hear about like you know, a musician, like I, I architected the sound or I um, architected this phone design. People use the word architect in a very common way. But I guess if you call yourself an architect, you legally have to be licensed. Maybe the misuse of the word architect from other fields is proof that architecture does have a certain level of respect. It's like, how do you say, I mean, it's more than just designing it, more than just building it. I architected it. (laughs) I did it all. I, I, I realized my vision with this. That's why. So maybe, you know, maybe the the term architect is, is understood in a, in a good way in those. As cheesy it is, that's why we call ourselves super architects. Because we can call ourselves (laughs) architects because we're not architects, but we're a different type of architect. And we also call ourselves super architects to kind of battle the star architects. Like, okay, we get it. You're a star architect. You're doing all these amazing buildings, but that doesn't necessarily mean our ideas are invaluable or small. We have something to show too, even though we're, you know, immature and inexperienced. Uh, but I think that's where the avant-garde is in architecture schools and being inexperienced. That's where the magic happens. So if I can jump in, I think, Amelia, part of the relevancy of that question right now relates to the fact that virtual reality exists, that we're starting to have a different sense of what community means based on virtual communities, based on, you know, these ways of interacting that don't take place in a built environment. And it, it to me, is completely appropriate that at this time, as a society, that we're redefining public space as being something that can be online versus in a, you know, physical reality, that we also are struggling with and redefining what the designers of physical space, what our value is, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the authority figure in the architect is kind of one of the basic 
tenets of what it actually does. It's not necessarily that it defines what kind mm. of things it's designing, but instead this kind of, yeah, maybe continue with the super analogies, like super, it's at the top, it's <laughs> kind of looking over everything and, and that masterful systems orchestrator who can see everything, to all the tendrils leading out and be able to wrap everything up, regardless of whether the wrapping is in the medium of plaster or concrete or code or whatever, that it's that person who has this kind of like has their hands all over everything. <laughs> the conductor, yeah. right? Not the violin, not the whatever, but the conductor exactly. of the orchestra. Yeah, that's a good, thank you, Donna. Thank you for that. That's a good metaphor. The, the <laughs> most value architecture in general got is Kanye West uh, went to Harvard GSD. You know what I mean? Instead of, you know, some some amazing housing project happening in Chile. So if you ask me what's more valuable for architecture, Frank Gehry's Walt Disney or Frank Gehry being in Simpsons, I think Frank Gehry and being in Simpsons <laughs> is more I would agree. Uh, so I think that's the <laughs> dilemma I had when I left architecture. I was like, okay, you know, I want to make the you know the best, the greatest building in the world as everyone you know wants to do. But I was like, no one's gonna care. How much value is that gonna have? Uh, so that's why it's been we've been more you know, I've been thinking more on the platform level on commercial level, entertainment level, social level, where forget about me, forget about our building. We need to help architecture. It sounds like and, you need to produce the next great Hollywood or the first great Hollywood film about architects. That's what I want to do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, I don't know about architecture, but I'm personally like my personal work is going more towards filmmaking. Maybe we'll talk about that in VR. So that's sort of what I see. And for my thesis, I made a film because I'm like, no one wants to, no one cares about, you know, these blueprints and these renders. Let's make a, let's, you know, I mean, Liam Young, right? So that's, mm -hmm. a, how do you, how do we, Everyone understands film, you know, everyone feels something with film. And maybe if we use architecture as a content in these films, people could feel architecture and they could kind of understand a little bit more and build some sort of emotional connection towards architecture rather than, you know, the old dude pointing at his blueprints, which, you know, that's what everyone thinks. That's what all my friends and family think mm -hmm. architects are. And we've, we repeat this all the time. It's like that joke, right? So I think film as a representational tool virtual reality as an installation, as an experience is the new way, or I think right now the best way to, I guess, engage or showcase or have people connect into architecture, whatever that means. Absolutely. Well, we're going to have to wrap up pretty soon, but before we finish, I'd like to just quickly talk about the, the panel that you guys are going to, you and Devine and Amelia will be on at SciArc next week. Yeah, it's already a week from today or a week from the, on the 14th of September, I should say. Yeah. 14th of September. And the topic is uh, architecture and media. Mm -hmm. We are the media. Devine and I are going to be up there with Benjamin Bratton and can't recall the other two members' names at this time, but we will make sure to post the information on with and in, in the show notes so people yeah. can get to it. So if you're in LA and uh, you like what you're hearing, you can come see them live. Bring your <laughs> see the media books. live. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> live on stage, the yeah, media. Wednesday yeah, exactly. at seven. And yeah, and and we'd uh, we'd love to feature some of your work, maybe maybe the film that you did, the Six Street Bridge film. I know sure. we featured it in the past, but I'd like to include some of the stuff in the show notes. And uh, please keep us updated on on the uh, the opening of the Rue space, yeah. So we can share that with our audience. Yeah, and we'd love to have you guys over and maybe do some sort of I don't know a remote podcast there or something. Totally, yeah. we could do something cool there for sure. Yeah, we're uh, we're we're down with that. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely. We uh, yeah we we like what you guys are doing. It's exciting. Likewise. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, Thank you. Devine, for joining us, and thanks to everyone out there listening. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter at our Twitter account, Arc Sessions, or with hashtag ArcConnectSessions. You can also send us an email to connect at arcconnect.com. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating us on iTunes. 
Amelia, do you know who we're uh, featuring on Monday for one-to-one? Yes, um, I do hold that secret information. In fact, it's a little bit of a non-traditional episode this upcoming Monday. I'm going to be speaking with Michael Arbib, who is a neuroscientist who is heavily involved with the Academy of Neuroscientists for Architecture, which is an organization out of the University of California, San Diego's new school that looks at just that, the intersection of neuroscience and architecture. And they have some crazy, interesting stuff lined up for their conference um, next month. So yeah, we'll be talking a little bit about that. Very cool. Yeah, looking forward. I am. I'm looking forward to listening to that. I got to make sure that I'm have a cup of coffee before. Yeah, I do, exactly. That, that's going to that's going to require a lot of uh, brain activity. He's very he's been in it for long enough. He's super adept at not being the isolating neuroscientist. Excellent. Amelia, he's been something of a of a hero. You've been a fan of his for a while, right? Was this exciting to talk to him? Well, I've actually I spoke to him at the last conference, which was in 2014. And he works, he's done work at USC. I'm not sure if he's still active there, but um, he's a bit of a local. So he's, I've spoken with him before and he's great. So he's a great kind of voice of the conference and is very accessible. Amelia has a very dreamy looking uh, poster of him next to her, <laughs> next to her desk at the office here. <laughs> through the, through the magic of radio. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The magic of radio will just like let people imagine whatever that is. All right. Thanks everybody. Until next week. Great talking to y'all. All All right. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Bye.